Dickheads, welcome to Pop Culture Continuum. This is John Elliott. And this is Patrick Riccardi. And once again this week, for our Halloween series, we have... Halloween episode two is The Stuff Versus They Live. Oh, I was... I meant our guests. Oh, I'm Hi, sorry. I'm, I'm Laura Bagnato. Yay! And I'm Michael Morris! <laughs> oh, Michael, you... <laughs> Michael, you sound like some kind of oaf. What has happened to you? <laughs> it's it's the Halloween switcheroo. We tricked you. Oh, oh, oh. oh it's like that great uh, Halloween movie, Freaky Friday. Exactly. I'm Lindsay Lohan. That is a horror. And story. I'm also Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> yeah, we're wait. What? It's the stuff versus they live. Um, so pretty kind of thematically similar. Are you sure it's pronounced they live? I thought it was they live. <laughs> That's stupid. You have to pronounce the exclamation point because there's an exclamation point well, at the end. They live! <laughs> they live! <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, uh, well, I think one of these is uh, an excellent movie and I think one of them is not. It's probably not hard to figure out which is which. Well, I don't ask... think either of them are excellent, but they're both a lot of fun. No one. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, I think one's a, a classic, but... I'm the resident enthusiast of everything, though, so every time, every time you poo-poo any movie, I'm like, no way, it's amazing, and then I just... I wasn't poo-pooing it, I think, the I think they're the both fun, I, I just have trouble calling either of them excellent. I, I, it's true. There's too they're... much to make fun of with both of them, but they're both really fun. It's true, I, I think the one that I think is excellent uh, works despite... Well, I think... A lot of the the bad stuff in it is intentional, but well, I don't know. We'll get to that. I think they're both excellent in a Bill and Ted kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will agree with that. They're both excellent, dude. They, they both have amazing <laughs> like elements that are terrible, and they have amazing elements that are like good ideas. Yeah. But the terrible elements are the ones that I love the best. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Well, I think uh, I think that's the that's the thing you could talk shit about the 80s all you want but these well i don't know i guess the stuff is kind of a more traditional horror movie i don't know that they live would necessarily qualify as horror but uh they did have ideas behind them rather than just being empty uh jump scares yeah, yeah. absolutely it's not just i've got a knife and i'm gonna get you yeah, right. and it's you not... made out with somebody. <laughs> you slut. <laughs> or, or you know, torture porn, which is which is nothing but. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess it's. I guess it's some form of catharsis for some people. It doesn't do that for me. But which is not to porn say that just at this point. What's that? Did torture porn exist at this point? No, no, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it kind of did. Well, maybe it just like, was it was like like the really intense grindhouse stuff. Yeah, it was like yeah. last house on the left kind of thing. Or I spit on like, your grave. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. That I'd call that. You know, yeah, early torture porn. torture porn. Yeah. Well, watching either one of these movies is a little bit like torture. No. <laughs> no. I just... Well, let's let's get into. <laughs> Let's what was in. that really bad movie we watched with? That was the things. Uh, things, was yeah. yeah. Things. I think oh, that was yeah. the worst movie we've seen. Oh, that was. But these two don't come close to how bad that one was. No, yeah. these. Oh, these are like Academy Award winners. Next. Well, they to the both thing. have like. Things. I mean, they've already 
gone past the basic B-movie level, which, which means that they have a plot that makes sense and continually throughout the movie, they have a plausible beginning, middle, and end. So I feel like already they're way more watchable than a lot of the stuff I would have suggested. Yeah. <laughs> you said the title of the movie in your sentence. The stuff. <laughs> no, I thought, I thought you meant So I that. have to do a shot. <laughs> <laughs> At 10 a.m. It's 7 a.m. here. Yes, Michael is in uh, Hawaii. Hello, man. That's, that's a great <laughs> Hawaiian accent. <laughs> Nobody here laughs when I do that. <laughs> well, nope. they don't speak English there, so. It's yeah. yeah. I don't it's think. It's coconuts, coconuts. I don't think any of those. Yeah, they probably all just the don't down. understand you. They, they don't have any of those letters in their alphabet. It's just yeah. all K L U A. They have so many words for sand. <laughs> Eskimos, Pat. Let's talk about the stuff. Yeah. All right. What year was the stuff made, Laura? 1985. What a wonderful year. Was it? Yeah. yeah. I was four. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. I remember one time, I think one of my earliest memories um, around that time was being at the grocery store. And then thinking I could just take something and walk out of the store and then getting in trouble. I did that exact thing when I was a kid. Really? Although I was closer to eight. Oh. <laughs> Although I was closer to 20. <laughs> That's terrifying. And it wasn't a supermarket. It was a fashion store. The stuff. Mm. A fashion store. One of those great fashion stores <laughs> right. across this land of ours. By 86, they were all closed, though. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, United Colors of Benetton. <laughs> the premier fashion store. Yeah, The Stuff. Uh, starring the first DA from uh, Law & Order. I was shocked. And I did not know that he did anything else. I didn't either. Also teaming up with... Uh, Wait, you Warner... guys didn't watch Law & Order? You didn't recognize him immediately? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, okay. Oh, you heard he didn't know. Well, he did He did a lot of other stuff. Okay. I actually didn't recognize him immediately. I, the stuff is the only thing that I've no, I think I've seen him in. But I like his <laughs> swagger. <laughs> Do you guys I think he was wearing he's... a toupee? No, I think he actually had hair at this point. And then in the five years. Like, oh, was it five years? I thought it was only like two years. Yeah, it was five, I, Law & Order premiered in 1990. So oh, okay. in those five years, he obviously lost his hair probably oh. after doing press for the stuff yeah i was obviously <laughs> doing production of the stuff a side effect of all those high-waisted jeans he was wearing and uh, the stuff god damn <laughs> yep he had the mom pants going so who wants to do the the stuff uh you know synopsis synopsis i think i think that's uh on you laura this was your pick oh was it I'd well, Laura, Laura was really a friend of the. They live too, so I can also do the um, the synopsis. Although I might not be right. No. I think you should do the stuff, Michael. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd rather hear I'm your do that wrong stuff. version. Wonderful. So I'm going to try to describe it without sounding judgy. <laughs> <It's impossible. laughs> Good luck. Don't you sounded judgy just yourself. saying that. <laughs> so the movie opens with a like an old bum or a guy who works at a, a plant, a mill. Uh, what is he's it? More a like a, he's more like a prospector, I'd say. He's an old guy, and he's he, there's some stuff behind him that looks like he's at some kind of uh, 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 processing facility or something. And basically, when you say stuff, do you mean the stuff, or do you mean stuff as like 
things. Equi- uh, that's man. a great question. In this case, it's not yet called the stuff. It's just okay. this is just stuff behind him. Okay. So he looks down and there's goop on the ground, bubbling up through the ground, and it's white, slimy-looking stuff. So his first idea when he sees this yes. is to better taste it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> to find better out what it is. What is this? I'm going to talk out loud to myself. What is this? It looks <laughs> like something I should taste. And then he tastes it, and somebody else comes up and he's like, "This is really good. You should try it." And the guy also <laughs> licks his finger and tastes it. And um, well, in then, his defense. He said no at first. He did say no at first. That's true. And he touched finger to finger and then licked his own finger (laughs) rather than lick the original guy's finger, which I thought was a really (laughs) weird... That's disgusting, licking someone else's finger. (laughs) Can you imagine how awkward that would have been in the opening scene if the guy just full-on, like, took the other guy's finger in his mouth and licked the stuff off of it? Is awkward your word for sexy? (laughs) Sometimes. So the movie at this point, they like they're both liking the stuff, and they cut to a scene of it, you know, gurgling back through the ground like slime, and then they jump. I don't know how long into the future, to a point where everybody is eating the stuff. Like it's completely like. Well, it's been marketed and and it's put been in. marketed, and it's the it's destroying the competition, and you don't know how, and you don't know how long it's been necessarily, and you don't know what's. You know why everybody is. You're sounding suddenly... judgy. Oh, you're right. <laughs> suddenly, this wonderful product <laughs> has destroyed everything else in terms of competition. And I think they cut to the scene on the boat. Is that right? Where where Michael Moriarty, who is playing Mo, who is a corporate um, uh, saboteur or espionage guy, mm-hmm. is coming out to a boat where all of the like big uh, treat. Dudes, <laughs> manufacturers, <laughs> yeah, manufacturers. Treat are, <laughs> They're like you know they don't really name them, but they you know, they suggest that like it's like mm-hmm. you know the candy company guy and the, the ice, ice cream, cream guy lobby, and, yeah, right. All these lobbies are waiting out on this boat, and he comes out in a boat, and they want to hire him to find out what the stuff is and destroy it because they haven't even explained at this point that the stuff is this big deal. They just like it's just totally jumped to the corporate corporate espionage and they want michael moriarty mo in this case which is not his name in the movie is not michael moriarty that's his name as an actor um they want mo i didn't write down what his real name is rutherford david mo rutherford and he's he's like he's got southern swagger and he's got waist high jeans and he is um a slick character and he likes to end meetings with punches Yeah, I'm going to speed through this meeting real quick. So basically, <laughs> sorry, you're taking too long. We're still, the on the me- we're still on the meeting, and it's been like five minutes. <laughs> it's like three minutes into the movie. We're doing real time, yeah. <laughs> yeah and now we're slower. There was slow motion time in the movie. We'll yeah. be done in three hours. So Mo comes in, and he's with all these like fast food moguls or whatever, or like snack food moguls, and he is acting like a huge asshole he shakes everybody's hands and he's like i feel a sweaty hand i feel another sweaty hand (laughs) and then then he um he tells everybody oh i've already been bugging you i guess to show them that he's already good at corporate espionage and then and then that's why he gets paid the big bucks and before he leaves he punches one of them in the face (laughs) which is classic and uh and then after that um 
I feel like it starts focusing more on the marketing. Like, I, I think it's worth saying that throughout the entire movie, the, the plot is interspersed in the plot are these little, like, commercials for the stuff. One with Abe happening. Pagoda. Abe What's Pagoda, the, yeah. the, uh, the Where's the Beef Lady. Yeah, uh, the Where's the Beef Lady. Oh, Monk's wife did one. Uh, <laughs> Tammy Grimes. I don't know who Tammy Grimes is, but she did one. Anyway, was that the woman? Was that the blonde woman that was like With the husky just voice. talking straight at the camera yes. and was just yes. like, "I love the stuff." <laughs> yes. Oh my god! But apparently, I, she's famous. That was my favorite part. I mean, that's you know one of my two favorite parts. I think of the movie or favorite aspects of the movie is that like marketing um, that they stick in through because it's all really well done. I think it's it all is. like a, a really successful spoof on kind of like eighties advertising. And, it is the uh, most believable part of the movie. Like those, those that marketing is absolutely the greatest spot part. Spot yeah. on. So, so to make a, a long story very short, um, he <laughs> continues on this. He starts on this quest, um, but once he he starts figuring out that there's like a sinister aspect of the stuff that's like infecting people's minds, he kind of switches. He doesn't switch teams. But he becomes more of like a rogue <laughs> and he <laughs> and he continues to investigate the stuff and um, and uh, like as people try and attack him and keep him from his eventual goal. And um, it turns out that the stuff, spoiler alert, is actually um, possibly sentient goo <laughs> that when people <laughs> eat it, it takes over their brain and makes them want more stuff and makes them... So it's kind of like, you know how um, they say that toxoplasmosis, <laughs> that <laughs> I think it's kind of like toxoplasmosis, which is... I was just talking about that the other day, toxoplasmosis. Really? It takes over your whole body, hollows you out, and then comes back out. <laughs> <laughs> and then comes pouring out of your mouth. Yeah. Um, no, but well, we, toxo... we can't do... Th oh, go ahead. No, let me be scientific for a second. <laughs> Professor Laura is speaking. Um, <laughs> class is in session. Uh, so toxoplasmosis, it, it apparently like it's a um, it gets inside of rats' brains and makes them. It, so it it's in cat poo. Yeah, it's yep. in cat poo, mm -hmm. and then rats eat it, and then it gets inside their brains and it makes them think cats smell delicious. And so the rats go seeking out the cats. It like rewires their brain to make them seek out cats so that the cats can eat them and it can get inside the cats again, get inside more cats. So it's God, kind we, of exactly the same. Were you and I <laughs> having that conversation? I don't think so. God, I've had that conversation literally with like two people in the last month, like because I didn't know that was a thing until very recently. Yeah, it, get, well, it gets the, into humans also. And I mean, I'm a, I love cats. And they smell really good to me. So, <laughs> and they're delicious. So you should. Have you, you should. been tested for the stop or toxoplasmosis? I haven't. Maybe uh, stop eating out of your uh, cat's kitty litter, <laughs> and that'll go away. Yeah. Yeah. You well, should... the the stuff. Yeah. So the stuff. Uh, it it oh, takes over. Let's, so... let's not forget poor Jason. No, that's who I was going to bring up. <laughs> that's good. the best. Although Jason grows up pretty quick, Pat. 
Yeah, he's like, I've seen a lot. Yeah, it, it, that's that's the second, uh, well, I guess the second main character, kind of, it's some kid. Well, you're going to grow up pretty quickly when your father, even before the father's addicted to this stuff, he's beating him up for being up for it. He's an hour. asshole! I know, I was like, they really set the family up already to be assholes so that you weren't upset when, they, th- when they became stuffies. And then you know what totally... I, stuffies, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like furries, doesn't it? <laughs> One thing I found not as really alarming funny, though. Really funny about Jason. I've never seen a kid in a movie wearing no no shirt when he's sleeping. They're always wearing those weird pajama pajama tops. So I guess they didn't have money for. Were you sh- were you shocked? I was shocked. You were like youth torso. <laughs> but you know that's like so eighties Italian kid. Like Scott Scott Bloom and Jason Bloom play the two brothers. Scott or Jason wait Brian Bloom sorry Brian Bloom was a soap opera actor yeah at the time. I, I recognize him he looks him. familiar did we see the one with the piercing eyes yes okay. well they both have the same eyes like one looks like yeah. a younger version of the other and Brian Bloom was in I don't know one of those soap operas and they they're the epitome of like the Italian teen from Philadelphia I feel because I say this because of my my own cousins looked a lot like either one of them and they were the types that yeah like we you know we'll wear a gold chain and no shirt and you know sleep <laughs> in these you know and the whole family did that <laughs> I like that look <laughs> yeah. it was but, very 80s very so it, it's worth saying for those who haven't actually watched the movie that um. This kid starts to, well, A, as we mentioned briefly before, they, they have like kind of like an establishing scene of Jason and his family. And um, G- it starts off where Jason's hungry and he gets up in the middle of the night and goes downstairs and looks in the fridge and the stuff is in the fridge. Well, then his dad comes down and starts berating him for getting out of bed and leaving his room in the middle of the night, which is bizarre to me. I had really permissive parents. Is this a thing that kids would get in trouble for yeah, he's no, like my, my parents scared let me, me my parents let me walk around the house as well yeah i don't, I don't think <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his father was just a dick because he, he wouldn't let it go the next day either it's like he was, yeah, up all he night was just like he was up all night rooting yeah. through the refrigerator he's not calling in sick to school i was like oh my god Although, wake up hungry dad. again the key yeah. point there is that when Jason is before the dad comes down, Jason is looking in the refrigerator and he sees a tipped over container of the stuff, and the stuff is moving by itself. Yeah, and, and the stuff just looks like uh, marshmallow cream. We should mention. Yeah, or Cool right. Whip, or yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it looks like well, yeah, it looks isn't like it called marshmallow fluff. stuff. Marshmallow oh, fluff. fluff. fluff yeah, fluff. Yeah, but that's right. what it looks like for sure. Right, so Jason's on board with the anti... He goes on a rampage in the supermarket. Which yes. was awesome. I laughed all the way through that. <laughs> he that smashes. And then I'm, I'm laughing, and then I see there's an uncredited, uncredited, unspeaking role of Eric Bogosian. Eric like, Bogosian. Ah. Yeah, he played the, the security guard at the supermarket. <laughs> no, not security guard, just one of, just the, one of the clerks. The clerk, I yeah. like the, when the clerks, when they see him coming, and he's, like, smashing the windows and putting the stuff everywhere, like, throwing the stuff everywhere, and they see him coming, and there's, like, oh, no, because they had just, of course, set up this beautiful stuff display and, like, stacked it perfectly, and he was, and like, there's nothing ah! they could do to stop the kid. Yeah. So I had a real problem with that scene because there was moments where he was smashing the freezer glass to get at the stuff and smash it inside the the freezer or the refrigerated case, and then they were setting up unrefrigerated stuff, and it was <laughs> yeah, the <yeah>. same container. <laughs> and you're like, wait, I need to know: is it refrigerated or unrefrigerated? Or it's like either soda. way. You get soda either way. So <laughs> yeah, refrigerate after opening. Oh, well, maybe. So maybe. those are opened, used containers of the stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, they're just cold for you to bring home. They charge an extra 50 cents per can of stuff. Oh, okay. I, well, I had a question. Well, first of all, I wanted to talk about uh, Michael Moriarty's accent. I don't know if it was, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's organic. Like, I didn't look up where he's from, but it was kind of comical, his southern accent to me, to the point where when he first started talking, I expected to hear him say, now, I may not be a big, fancy, big city <laughs> lawyer. I, I, I don't think he's from, I don't think he's from the South, so. But, it's, it's weird, because his accent was really bad, but I still, there was something, I feel like he exuded some kind of, like, sexy swagger, even though. Yeah, totally. I don't know. I, I like high-waisted jeans. Yeah. <laughs> I love, hey, I love a man in high-waisted jeans. At least the last three guys I've dated have worn high-waisted jeans. But not for long, wink, wink. He was, he was a good... Uh, Things got awkward pretty quickly. <laughs> you, and you mean sexy by awkward again, right, Pat? Yeah. He was a good, nice he was a good hero. Um, like a kind of a kick-ass hero because he just looked like a an accountant. Like he wasn't a Schwarzenegger type or anything. So that, but I, I have one Yeah, but more. he was kicking ass like Schwarzenegger, which was so funny. Yeah, that's yeah. what was great about it. I had another question. So when he meets Jason, he's like, get in the car, right? And he's like, I saw it move too. I'm like, all right, well, how did you know the kids saw it move? Have you met this kid before? I, I didn't get that at well, all. Well, he just... He, he, he concluded that from the fact that he was destroying all the stuff. So he's like, oh, that must be why he's doing it. He's not a crazy kid. Right. He had read that there was a kid. He read a newspaper story that there was a kid who had destroyed the supermarket. And yeah. that's why he went to find Jason. And I guess the newspaper story must have suggested that it moved or something. I don't, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. My brain must have stopped working at that point. Uh, yeah, well, clearly brain. it was national news that a child, you know, this, that <laughs> he was able to find out that a child attacked a supermarket to destroy the stuff. <laughs> no, I don't think it was national news. He was in New York and this was happening in Long Island. So oh, we just read the local paper. Jeez, you guys are paying attention to all kinds of details <laughs> that I was not paying attention to. <laughs> oh. But we, we also, I think it's also worth mentioning before we go too far ahead, he's, he's at this point already met his love interest, who is also um, an ad executive who works on, who invented like the campaign for the stuff and helped popularize it. Um, I think her and, name is Nicole. Yes, Nicole. Okay. So Nicole is, I mean, she's like not a huge, you know, force, acting force in the movie, <laughs> but I do love the first scene that she's in yes. where she's directing the stuff like commercial and all these sexy models in, in bikinis and fur coats are walking down a runway and like licking white stuff off of a spoon and she's like shouting things at them like, yes, sexier. Let's see the bikini. More yeah, no, stuff. No More subtext stuff. there. Yeah, I was like, Whoa. that was the first scene where I was like, wow, this movie is serious with its budget because there are a lot of fur coats in the scene. There's, <laughs> there's fur coats on hangers behind her. Yeah. And I'm like, product placement. that's just amazing that there were so many, like the, they were serious with some of the I think they scene. spent the entire budget on two, <laughs> like two special effects in particular. And I'm sure yeah. that you guys know which ones I'm talking about. And and all the ads and everything else was done on like everything else was done like in a car or in a lab, right. <laughs> or maybe they rented the boat. It was probably like his friend's boat. Right. <laughs> well, we. Uh, I wanted to mention uh, another character in it. Um, 
Garrett Morris, whose character I believe is Chocolate called... Chip Charlie. Oh, oh, right. I was going to say it was his character's name was uh, racial stereotype. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was kind of bad, but the part was written for Arsenio Hall. <laughs> Do you love that? I know I read that too. Can you imagine? I liked Garrett. I like Garrett Morris in it, but yeah, he was kind of like, yeah, I'm a black guy. What it is, brother? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm Garrett Morris is. I mean, master. honestly, like he, that was part of his role on SNL. Also, if you want to guess, racial it's just, stereotype. I think it was just more obvious because a few years had passed and like maybe that had it, it seemed less um tongue-in-cheek once you took it out of that more um maybe like east coast elite comedy context right well <laughs> he was not elite he did give it his all i'll give him that <laughs> yes and i like that it was a it, he was kind of modeled on famous amos which was i guess a thing in the 80s where people Wait, was was famous Amos a thing? Was he famous? Yeah. Or was he just Amos? <laughs> well, he was self-proclaimed famous. Oh, there was an actual person. I only knew of the cookies. I mean, there was an actual famous Amos cook who made the cookies. Somebody get on Wikipedia. Let's let's look into this. I'm... Oh, I thought you knew. I don't know. We have to look stuff up. Jeez. What the hell was uh, Dick Gregory? Didn't he have something? Who's Dick Gregory? Uh, Dick yeah, Gregory you... was the comedian? Yeah. But I thought he also... All right. Famous Amos... Uh, oh, Wally Amos. Yeah, an Air Force veteran. I'm trying so to. He was a street smart chocolate chip cookie mogul <laughs> who also knew how to like be a detective, and um, he was a street fighter who could um, back up somebody like Michael Moriarty, and that's what they based Garrett Morris's character on. Chocolate well, chip Charlie. Let's go in the case. He sex. lives in Hawaii now. Wally Amos lives in. Co- 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 I don't know how to say it, but he lives in Hawaii, and you're right there, so you can find oh, him. Oh yeah, I should go look him up. <laughs> yeah, no, he was he was he was a black, uh, you know, cookie. Why he got to be black? <laughs> well, I think that's why they that's why Garrett Morris was was based on him. I remember him on TV and stuff. Oh yeah, back in the day, yeah. Um, he's the Cookie Kahuna. There's his his no way home website. Yeah. Anyway. Enough about Garrett Morris. He doesn't really play into this all that much. He, yeah, he, he, he all he is is a vehicle for the best special effect in the entire movie. Let's just put it. Let's just put it bluntly. His SNL days are over. He's you know, still, in, I'm sure he's a great dude, but in this movie, like all he is is a head that gets pulled back and exploded, and then the stuff shoots out of his neck. Didn't they the do end. that to the dog too? Didn't the do- there was yeah, a dog? Yeah, the, d- that the dog also vomited. At the same, <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Sorvino and oh, Danny Aiello, oh, oh, they're yeah. both in this. That was like, the w- see. See, this is the worst. I think um, I, maybe we should. There isn't really. There aren't really any gaps to fill in at this point. I feel like we've already told the entire film. Yeah, you but can. Basically, he picks up the kid at who's running from his family. His family becomes stuffies, and they try to make him. Um, eat the stuff and he's like I don't want to eat the stuff and so he eats shaving cream and tricks them real quick but then he runs out the door and just at that exact moment um, Mo drives up and is like get in the car and, and he's like I can't okay. figure out why he filled the cup with shaving cream when he could have just filled it part of the way and showed I already ate a lot of this stuff <laughs> right <laughs> look how much stuff I ate oh it's You're an idiot, Jason. yeah and then he vomits shaving cream in the back of the car 
And he's like, and then they have an awkward, oh, that's the most awkward acting portion of the entire movie, I feel like, is the kid being like, I just threw up in your car. And then Mo being like, I know. (laughs) And then he says, says, could you open a window? And the kid says, open a window? (laughs) (laughs) That's the end of the scene. Yeah. And uh, And then they decide to, like, infiltrate the actual factory and figure out what's going on. Um, and at what, at some point, so after they do that, they decide they want to take it over and I don't really, things get a little fuzzy there for me, but they, they, that's when they meet up with Paul Sorvino and the movie turns into a completely different movie. (laughs) (laughs) Then like the music changes and it becomes like, it becomes like eighties, like adventure comedy music. And it's like, he is he's such a character and it, it nothing makes any sense. He's like, is he like a, I don't know. He's like super right wing yeah. ex military guy. I think we went, and we so went wait, is he ex military? Or, or yeah, maybe it is the it actual is. military. I'm not, or maybe really, I thought they were just, secu- I thought they were just security guards. <laughs> That's what it seemed like. I don't know if he was ever military, but they were all dressed like, in camo and he's like, right. Living I, in think, a castle? I think it's like his own, his own military force. He, he came up with it. It went, the movie went from anti-consumerism to anti-right wing pretty quickly. Cause this guy was, I thought it was like Rush Limbaugh, but of course Rush Limbaugh didn't exist yet. He but. managed everything that every single line that he had managed to be turned into some like, weird paranoid right-wing yes. screed oh yeah. <laughs> that reminds me there he had a couple ridiculously stupid lines that i enjoyed we are your <laughs> only the the kid says something and his response is we are your only army son and then he says to the kid we have never lost a war and the, and kid's, the like, kid's like what, what about, about names, sir? <laughs> we lost that war at home sonny I'm like, what is going on? Why are we even having this discussion? Just go get the stuff. (laughs) I thought, yeah, I thought it was a very weird turn because even though they portrayed him as a right wing doofus, really the the idea is that the the stuff is taking over and brainwashing people. And uh, what? Who do you get to? unbrainwash people but the military that seemed very <laughs> mixed message to me <laughs> it was well, super... they needed firepower that's true that's i true. feel like they just as easily could have and more successfully could have written a plot where mo and the kid and then the love interest like infiltrate it and then get it from the inside and like blow up the factory or something i feel like that would have been yeah well... just as successful and maybe they add in maybe in order to take up that time in the plot, they added in another like level of bad guy that they have to, or like a bigger battle with the stuff itself. Yeah, and uh, I just want to mention, I don't know if they even needed an army because apparently when people are taken over by the stuff, it makes their faces cave in as soon as you punch them. So <laughs> I, I don't know how much. So they could have just punched everybody. Yeah, the stuff doesn't like pain. Yeah, it's like oh. <laughs> Which it's was kind cool. of a weird thing because that does happen. Like, like people literally their faces because the stuff like sort of hollows them out and then leaves their body. And there was a scene early in the beginning where that happened, where he was like investigating some hillbilly town, and this guy in the old post office like was a stuffy, and like he punched him, and the guy fell down, and then they showed the stuff leaving the guy's body through his mouth, and then later it came back in, and the guy woke up. Yeah. yeah. So, like, so yeah, up again. maybe they just needed to 
change the marketing message and be like, I mean, they should have just skipped right ahead to the to the media part of it, maybe, and just change the marketing message and be like, holy shit, the stuff makes your face cave in <laughs> when you're punched. <laughs> Don't eat it. And then and then just waited for all the people who did eat it to have their faces cave in. Right. And then it would have been over, right? <laughs> but then you wouldn't have had the great Paul Sorvino in the movie at all. Oh, right. Right. Or the great, like, I, I, I know I'm, like, digressing a little bit, but, like, in the beginning, Mo is trying to, like, woo Nicole, because clearly oh. he's romantically interested in her. <laughs> and, you know, she's like, handle my appointments and oh. get me a dress for tonight. And buy me a new dress. Right. Yeah, and, like, like, man, I need an assistant. The, sedu- <laughs> the seduction of Nicole was very quick. It was very good because the next time we see Nicole, he has off camera told her that the stuff is this monstrous thing and she is totally on board with trying to stop it and she totally understands that it's some kind of alien like substance that kills you or takes over people or whatever and she wants to help stop it. But we never see that entire conversation (laughs) and she's just suddenly on board with it and the whole like the sexy angle is gone. Oh no! Later on, there's a there's like a sexy interchange that I like. I like that you know when they're about when they're about to like do like go into the main battle, and she's like, "You look cute in that suit or whatever," and he's (laughs) like, "I do like encouragement." I actually thought that exchange was really cute. (laughs) And weren't they doing it in the hotel room when the stuff attacked them? Yeah. They, no, they were post-doing it, I yeah. think, was, was yeah what you were supposed to get he was, from that. He was reading through the report, and they were in bed together. But before that, he's talking to the hotel guy. He says, and it's a good thing you got us adjoining rooms. Because she likes to, she li- she likes me to take dictation all night long. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I was like, whoa. Subtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they, they basically burned down a hotel. Um, <laughs> killing how many, God knows how many helpless people. Um, <laughs> and not to mention all of the people that work at the stuff factory that all took cyanide pills <laughs> before they yeah. came in. I was like, I don't really understand. Yeah, they oh, had I a weird Jim this, Jones thing there. Yeah. I think the stuff made them do that, though. Yeah, like, it I could mean, be. because yeah. there is no. I mean, I guess really, if there is a human bad guy in this movie, it's it's the executives that are selling stuff. Right. selling the stuff and they know it's bad for you but they're still selling it and then at the end they get their comeuppance because they're forced at gunpoint to eat like three cases of the stuff but the <laughs> but, greatest uh, thing about that scene is the polar bear what there's a stuffed polar bear in their office a stuffed in, polar it, bear a stuffed like he's a standing one Yes, in the corner of the office. <laughs> I did, um, and I swear it must be where the Simpsons got it when the, from that movie, because I've never seen a standing stuffed polar bear anywhere else. I've seen one. Yeah. There's, there's a yeah, there's a bar on Point Richmond that uh that has a stuffed polar bear, That's but neat. it's really gross looking. It looks like some real old taxidermy. <laughs> Anyhow, it's not. It doesn't make me feel like. The people are wealthy that own the bar, but in in an office in an office setting, I feel like it's a real. I think they're doing it to show like how opulent their lifestyle right. is. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Bring in the stuffed polar bear, girl. Yeah, this is, yeah. is going to impress. Well, people. clearly, then they have money to travel to a place where a polar bear lives, shoot the polar right. bear, pay sure. to have that big ass polar bear transported back and stuffed, and then they put it in their giant. They have room for it in their office. I mean, if I put a stuffed polar bear in my office, <laughs> there'd not be room for a desk. It would just be the polar bear. 
<laughs> Standing in your cubicle. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Laura? Oh, she's down on the first floor. I because... just ha- I just position it so it could hold my laptop, and I would just face it all day. <laughs> You'd have, like, cut marks on your forehead from where you bumped into the teeth. Yeah, like, ow. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> That's what I'm doing with my meager raise. <laughs> this, this kid actor, Jason, sorry, in, the, in that last scene where they're feeding, making the executives eat the stuff. Yeah. Um, God. It was, it was painful watching that kid act. Eat it! Eat it! Eat that stuff. I've seen a lot. Hey, hey guys. Hey, guys. Yeah. yeah. Enough is never enough. Not the stuff. <laughs> I did. I mean, both of these movies, I think I'll I'll probably talk about it a li- little bit more in They Live. But um, the, the real anti-advertising slant was definitely of the times. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Much more. I, well, I'll talk about it later. You, you, it's not... These movies wouldn't be made today with the same kind of philosophical viewpoint, I don't think. I liked the philosophical viewpoint. Oh, I did I really, too. I really feel like you're right. It is kind of missing today in a lot of films. And I think you can overlook maybe the kind of cornier points of this movie and, and, and look at like the greater big idea. And yeah. there's still something to think about. And, and I did like, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I do buy too much bullshit. Yeah, well, uh, no, I agree. <laughs> I, I love think... the logo for this stuff that says no artificial ingredients. Yeah. That's it's true. All, yeah, all natural. It's all real. Organic. <laughs> I couldn't, exactly. I couldn't overlook the the corniness in this film, uh, particularly. I, I mean, if... Oh, wait, John, this is not the one you were calling excellent? <laughs> no, this is not. Oh. <laughs> I'm so surprised. Oh, I thought this was so much better than they live. <laughs> <laughs> said I, nobody I, ever <laughs> really? like, except for larry well, cohen <laughs> the uh i the um the roger ebert review is like i read oh, wait, it i thought you're i thought you were talking about the roger ebert review from inside the movie oh that's the next movie i'm sorry Go yeah ahead. no but there is an actual roger ebert review of of the stuff that i found and and he kind of it's not a very long or i wished it he had written more about it but i guess he written he written. <laughs> I guess he wrote like he. I don't know, but he basically didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. Two it, stars. I'm surprised it got a review. I think it was only in theaters for like a week. Yeah, limited release. Yeah. I think that when you look back on it, like it, there's this great like that 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 supermarket scene is so great because like that's really what supermarkets look like in the 80s. And now, if you walked into that supermarket, you'd be like, oh. This what what town trapped in the past? Yeah, this? am I in some Twilight, Twilight Zone episode? Yeah, right. But yeah, no, and they then, didn't nail it because like, looking at it, I was like, oh yeah, that's what that was the supermarket I went to. And well, then, what's like, different about supermarkets now? They're cleaner. They're uh, <laughs> oh, they're lit differently. <laughs> the floors aren't so shitty. I feel like. <laughs> hey, Michael. When we first thought of this idea for this Halloween series a few months ago and we, you and I were hanging out you had some insight about 80s food consumer culture that you were sharing with me about like Haagen-Dazs and stuff yeah, like that and then 
Exactly. Like I noticed that. Like I read the Wikipedia thing that said they used Hagen Dazs sometimes for uh, the stuff as a stand-in, but like this, what what I thought was good about this is that I remember like in the early '80s, Hagen Dazs was like a new thing, or at least in the like shit town that I grew up in, it was a new thing. Yeah, same and here. People were absolutely outraged that ice cream would come in a pint. And that it would be, like, so expensive, you know, whatever it was back then, probably, like, 50 cents and or a dollar. And Meanwhile, was, last time I was at your house, we had, like, $10 right. pints of ice cream. <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> I'm totally addicted to ice cream, clearly. But, like, the um, – and we had, like, six pints of $10 ice cream. Yeah, no, no less. I know. David fed me, one <laughs> like, one spoonful of each $10 pint. <laughs> And then your head exploded, and um, <laughs> and then Black he Berry punched Chris me in the face. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but that was just on a Saturday, so it's fine. Yeah, normal Saturday. Um, but like this, this made me think about like first, like the consumer culture of like Hagen Dazs was so new, and it was such a big deal. Like sushi was new back then too, and like Americans were like, "What is this like ultra premium idea of ice cream?" In a you know, Hagen Dazs is garbage now. I would never eat that, but like. <laughs> It was so fancy. It was like so high, like high fashion, high culture to even be eating like this tiny pint of ice cream instead of a huge gallon of well, like and vanilla I think, chocolate strawberry. I think that's why you had these kind of movies and these ideas in the culture because that the 80s was the start of designer everything. You remember Jordache jeans and yeah. Yeah, I mean that was the first time jeans became a fashion s- statement basically. Right. And, and there's a lot of high-waisted Jordache jeans in this film. <laughs> but also, I was thinking later, like, this is an obvious thing that I'm sure everybody else picked up on, but, like, they're also sort of commenting on, like, drug culture. Yeah, well, especially yeah, the very last scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, the, the whole, like, it's white stuff, and the, the song is, like, you just can't get enough of the stuff. And, like, it's it makes me think of, like, that H.R. Puffin stuff. That I think I've mentioned before. That was actually their theme song as well. Right, they said the same thing. Like you know, you can't get a little. You can't do a little. You can't what that, like H.R. Puff and stuff. He can't do a little because he can't do enough. And like they disguise it as like he's such a good friend that he can't do enough for you. But like what they were saying was you can't do a little because you can't do enough in <laughs> with the drug. Well, and, well, I think it was I'm, to me it, what I took from it, especially the last the last scene of the movie. Spoiler alert uh, is. Um, some kind of street junkie looking dudes <laughs> getting oh yeah then it's like black market stuff yeah There's they're getting like a, a shipment of the stuff in and he like licks it out of the bowl and he's like oh to test i like that it it's then... black market but it's still in those official cartons because <laughs> yeah. well, it can't well, be shipped any other way well, they, i think they probably like raided a warehouse there's probably like warehouses around the country and right it becomes like a black but i actually love that scene because they really did wrap wrap it all up and i love yeah. that that scene was wordless i thought that was done really well yeah, personally well, like that that they didn't have to say anything you just knew like there it's like nighttime the guys look like semi-italian new york thuggy dudes <laughs> and they're just like wearing their pleather jackets and pulling <laughs> and pulling boxes of the stuff out of the back of a car well and that's and then oh anyway go that's ahead. what i was gonna say to me it kind of tied together i mean in a in a very cheesy b-movie way but the ideas were there like to me it tied together the idea of addiction to drugs and addiction to consuming food yeah yeah 
yeah. they said like that the the guy the executives were like well that's that's okay that you destroyed our lake of stuff you know wherever there's in more Georgia. where that came from it comes out of the ground in many places around the country or something and yeah. so you get this sense that like they're never going to get away from it and it's kind of a hopeless ending in a way because they didn't really win and they're never really going to win and i think both movies kind of share that uh in common as well um right but yeah. should we should we take a break and and then go on to uh, they sure. live? Is everybody done with the stuff? I'll never I just be thought done it was, with the stuff. I, I, I can't get I thought enough. it was interesting how New York the stuff was. I I didn't expect that. I thought it would be more of a California movie. Suburban, like, like California. Twelve of the people in the cast were in some, one or more episodes of Law and Order, so they share a lot of you know how New York. Uh, Actors are all in all the Law and Order show and the stuff. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think the main guy, what's his name, Michael Moriarty. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a he was a according. This is the only thing basically that I learned from the Roger Ebert review that besides that he hated it was that he was a prominent New York actor before this movie was made. So he must have been working a lot anyway. Yeah, and then Danny Aiello and yeah. Paul Servino. And I think yeah. This was a Dick Wolf production, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're a Dick Wolf production. <laughs> That's the sequel, Dick Wolf. Dick Wolf. <laughs> it's a porno. Law and order, that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> stuff unit. <laughs> All right. That could be a great ongoing show. <laughs> let's uh let's take a break. We're gonna come back and talk about uh they live. We're back with They Live, the one I consider a great movie, but we'll talk about why or Wait, why not. Wait, you've done great so. from excellent to great? Excellent. I, yeah, For I think it's the exclamation point. <laughs> they live! Uh, but we're going to have Laura give a quick synopsis for people who haven't seen this modern classic yet. Uh, promise not to interrupt her. I promise nothing, but go ahead, Laura. The scene opens <laughs> on a gritty city. <laughs> With one man walking down the street, John Nada, wearing a backpack and a sleeping bag, clearly a drifter, walking around, observing the city scenes, and he is looking for work. He's a good man. He believes in the American dream. <laughs> looking He's for an honest looking for an honest day's work so he can he can move up to the next level in his life. He's seen hard times. He goes to the unemployment agency. There's no work for him. And so he lies his way onto a union construction site and starts working. Um, and uh, he's super buff and cut, and he shovels all day. Do you and think John Nada is Jason all grown up? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. And his hair's all grown out into a lovely mullet. John Nada, by the way, played by Roddy Piper of wrestling fame. Um, and Let's give he, his full name, please. I'm yes. sorry, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Thank you. Yes. 
A lot of people wouldn't have known who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's his Christian name. Um, so he he then um, is befriended by another guy, Frank, played Frank by Frank Armitage. Yes, played by Keith David, who was also in the Thing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, John Carpenter favorite, yeah. Yeah, uh, so so good. Um, we should have done that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so he, <laughs> they they go to this kind of like shanty town together, and it's it's. I like that it's like a community. The shanty town is like a community that all of these families live in, and kids are happy and playing, and people are pitching in and working together and and building things. Which you know, <laughs> it's it's an upbeat vision of the poor. Sorry, I have to interrupt here though because. I found it hilarious that these guys work in union construction jobs or basically living in a homeless shanty town. <laughs> well, they're both down on their luck. I found it strange. So, okay. I, I, the thing that I couldn't wrap my head around is like, if you're getting paid, if you're a union worker on a construction site, do they still just hand you a wad of cash Apparently for your pay? Apparently so. It's all under I the table. Like, I, feel, I, I feel like the... the uh, Frank and, and Nada were, there was a union shop, but somehow they got around that and they were scabs. So they were paid under the table in cash. Oh, I get it. Okay. So, so maybe they knew there was an understanding. Okay. Yeah. I thought that they were just good at faking. This yeah. I kind of, I think that was implied. We're getting when... really hung up on this union thing. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> like, no. We need a union expert. Phone a friend. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I thought it was kind of implied when uh, Roddy Piper goes to the boss and the boss is like, this is a union job. And, and Roddy He's Piper like, may is I like, speak to the shop steward? Yeah. <laughs> like it was, it was some kind of code where like, yeah, I'll do He's it. He's like, the whatever, table. dude. The yeah. guy just like, was like, whatever. Um, okay. So they go to this. Um, they go to the shanty town and they're walking around, they get a good meal and, and somehow the shanty town has like, I mean, they have like plumbing and electricity and it seemed like a really nice shanty town. I feel like I would live there in, in a pinch if rents go up anymore. Um, so they, they had like a TV, an outdoor television set and everybody's sitting around and watching it and watching it, a newscast or what have you. And then all of a sudden this face interrupts, like it gets all like static and snow and this face comes on and he's just like, they are controlling your minds. You are living in a state of, you know, a sleep like state and wake up and see the reality. Their, their signal is too strong. We can't override it. And then everybody's like, what this guy again. And they're like hitting the TV and trying to figure out what's going on. But it's the first clue that you get that something is kind of amiss. And then, um, also they show uh this this blind preacher is walking along the side and uh walking along the sidewalk and he is mouthing the same words that are coming out of the tv and then you're just like whoa spooky and then um <laughs> and, and there's further you know not john nada sees all this and then he's like there's something going on and so he goes into the church i guess it's the next day and figures out that there's no choir practice inside of the church. They're actually just blasting recordings of choir music out the windows. And it's actually this like secret meeting society. And there are boxes everywhere and everything. And then um, he sees this box of sunglasses, which um, later he goes back and fetches after the army basic and the police come in and just like 
burn down the shanty town basically and uh start beating and then, the shit out of everybody yeah, yeah and bulldoze it down I know, but they, it seems, they it seems they, excessive doesn't it i really they, <laughs> it's random for sure the cops go over and they paint over the graffiti too that that they live graffiti and oh yeah uh, but, they they live we sleep yeah it doesn't seem excessive when you figure out what's going on yeah but then you're like all right this shit is crazy and the next day he goes back and gets the sunglasses because he's like, there's more to this. There's something happening here. What it is, is ain't exactly clear. And he takes the sunglasses <laughs> and puts one, takes one pair and hides the rest in a trash can, which is like the worst <laughs> fucking place to hide anything ever and like covers it up with trash. And no one will walks, touch this. And then walks down the street and then the first best scene in the movie happens where he realizes when he puts the sunglasses on, everything's in black and white. And he starts looking around and all the billboards that formerly said like, you know, vacation in Hawaii, vacation in Hawaii. Now it says marry and reproduce. <laughs> and then <laughs> the other they, ones obey. The obey. other ones say obey, which I mean, it's worth a mention immediately that Shepard Ferry you know, borrowed this idea for his Obey campaign that made him super famous. Um, so he is looking at magazines, and I, I really love the way that it's all kind of rendered um, in the film, the way they've done it in black and white. It's all really stark, and and I, I just feel like it's really attractive. Um, the way he, he's looking at the magazines, the magazine moves from like this busy spread and when he puts the sunglasses on it's all white with these kind of like propaganda words on it yeah and watch he, more tv yeah yeah sleep sleep Stay it asleep. all says like the same the same kind of for like over consume over. buy marry and reproduce and then he's more high-waisted jeans <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then he looks up to notice that half of the people that he sees all have these kind of like robotic skull faces that look they look kind of like when they find like an ancient human buried in the andes or whatever and they pull the guy out of the the dirt he's just like preserved and it's this weird mix of like skeleton and like some kind of like muscle covering and beef jerky it kind of <laughs> it kind of they kind of look like that in the face oh my favorite quote he when he starts walking around he doesn't know what's going on and he actually He's kind of dumb in this way that he starts like acting out like as he sees these people and starts freaking out about it. He feels like it's a great idea to like yell out loud about what he's what he's seeing <laughs> instead of just like quietly keeping it to himself and figuring out a next move. He starts just like yelling and running around and he's in the grocery store. He starts freaking out on people and then he turns to this woman in a fur coat and and says, you know, you look like your head fell in the cheese dip back in 1957. <laughs> oh, is it cheese dip? I thought he said cheese grater. <laughs> no, he says cheese dip, which is even better. I'm like, what are you talking about? But she does really look like her head fell in the cheese dip. It, and, and it's even better because she's wearing a fur coat. And the best part, I, I don't know, Michael, I thought of you when they show, they're showing like scenes of everyday life. And yeah. showing, and it's a great scene where you're seeing this juxtaposition of these like insane 
faces and they're talking to normal human faces and they're saying really mundane stuff and that in <laughs> itself is hilarious like they're like packing groceries into the the truck and then like the the skull-faced woman is saying to another woman like I told her to take the Lamaze class for herself <laughs> and for the baby and then, and then they show you know the beauty shop where the beauty shop is like my favorite vision is just like skull-faced you know, grotesque looking women with the like big hair dryer bonnets on them and everything. <laughs> that part is really amazing. Um, I love the idea that the, whatever these things are, like their goal is to control normal humans so that they can live amongst them and just do exactly <laughs> what the humans do. Yeah. So that they can, I'm going to work in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get the promotion though. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so as that happens, basically, because he starts screaming his head off about it like a dummy. Um, well, let me stop you there, because at this point in the movie, the movie is awesome. It's a perfect movie. I think it yes. kind of goes off the rails after this. Not, It's not terrible, but before this, I think it's it's awesome. It's really, really Although good. Although, Go it takes a long time for them to get to this point. Like, it takes yeah, but I, I thought that was put on those sunglasses. I thought that was so neat about it. it, was, it was, there was a lot of social commentary they were doing with that, with, kind of solid. Yeah. They had that conversation between Frank and, and John where Frank is like, the only thing in life is they're they're pushing you down your entire life. And, and, and John's like, oh, if I work hard enough, I'll, I'll get there. And it's like, no. Yeah, I mean, we've already brought it up a couple of times, but that, that was one of the a really kind of subversive. Well, the, the whole idea of the film is subversive in a way, but I thought really maybe the most subversive thing was that that line when they're first talking and he's like, um, um. I, I believe in America. Um, yeah. I play by the rules, and then, but that it's implied the whole rest of the movie uh, that he then stops believing in America, which I thought was, you know, a pretty big deal for a major Hollywood film. Yeah, and all it took was some cheap sunglasses. So. All right, moving along, just to wrap up kind of the synopsis portion of the well, to, podcast. Well, to sum it up pretty quickly, after this, shit got violent. Yeah, shit hits the fan. Um, so the uh, the skull-faced alien overlords, they they notice that he notices because he's yelling about it. And so they, <laughs> they all wear expensive watches, and then they start um, communicating with each other and being like, I got one, he can see my face, he knows what's <laughs> up, the jig is up. And then um, they start chasing him. And some of the cops are... I, I do like that, like, they are really intermingling with humans. Like, some of the cops are humans and some of the cops are the skull face people. But basically, um, he goes on the run. He gets into a car. He carjacks this woman who is... Uh, Michael? Meg Foster. Oh, oh, Meg Foster. Yes. Um, so Meg, he and Meg Foster go back to Meg Foster's house, which is like this glass-walled modern structure on a mountain somewhere. And sorry <laughs> to interrupt again. Uh, this this had my very my second favorite scene in the whole movie. But I I don't know if you guys will know what I'm talking about. But uh, how she reacts to him when she finally gets the chance, I thought was oh when, the, she, when she when she hits him and he 
goes out the window. Throws him out the window. <laughs> she basically, he's like, cool, put on these sunglasses. And she's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And he stands up and she just like throws him out the window. And then he's like limps a little, but he's good. He's right, fine. Yeah, and he's falling. Like, <laughs> he's falling about 10 stories, yeah. but he's all right. But this is, a... when, this is when he goes back and finds Frank at the construction site, right? And this is my favorite scene. Oh, my God, yes. Favorite. This is the best. Oh. The best fight best. scene in all of movies. In every, oh any God. movie ever. I wanted to fast forward through it. <laughs> what oh are you God. talking about? It's so good. Well, I, in watching it this time, which is probably maybe it's like the fourth or fifth time I've seen this movie, but in watching it this time, it really struck me that I'm like, you know, I bet a lot of this was to show. Like, I bet they were expecting Roddy Piper fans to want to see him yeah. kind of, like, do some kind of wrestling moves. Yeah, I'm sure. And this really, like, showcases his proficiency at wrestling because it's the, – the scene is literally 12 minutes long, I'd say, which is a really – long fight scene and it all especially starts... a fight scene that has really no point <laughs> yeah it all starts because because he well, says to frank well <laughs> a i mean I, it made a little more sense once you put it into the context of like um john nada has just like taken an assault weapon <laughs> into a bank and started just like plowing everyone down and everyone knows this like everyone knows that he's in trouble and they're and the cops are looking for him so he goes to the construction site and then um frank repeats his his mission statement which is i have a wife and kids <laughs> leave me alone don't bother me i want to walk along the white line yeah, I'm gonna I walk should, along the white line, and then he. We should interrupt here, though, actually, because what he does first is when he gets punched out of Meg Foster's apartment, he leaves the glasses there, and he doesn't have them anymore. Oh, that's yeah. right. And so he goes back oh, to the oh, yes, trash that's can why he's first, in that alley. and oh. shockingly, the trash can has been emptied, and the trash, the sunglasses <laughs> are there. But nicely so, enough, that the the trash truck is still in the alley. And right. The trash truck is only full of paper. Tinsel right. and and cardboard. There's no right. like old coffee grounds or poo or anything right. weird like that. It's all just like paper goods and one strand of silver tinsel. And <laughs> so, recycling. So he yeah. finds the box with the, the sunglasses in it, and then inexplicably, the the trash man starts to raise like in the alley starts to raise the dumper. And yeah, they just why like, did dump they do all that? the trash in the alley? He dumps and all take the trash off. back into the alley and takes off. It was supposed to not. The, the thing was supposed to be closed, so something else was supposed to happen there. Because he opened the thing up, and they didn't know it. Oh, right. Yeah. So it was... Okay. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So it was supposed to do something so else. He gets... The key thing is that he gets a pair of glasses back. Yes. And then he goes gets, back to... He gets uh, all the glasses. And he then he... He goes back to Frank, and then he's like, put on these glasses, man. They're controlling us. Oh, wait. Us. Somehow Frank finds him in that alley. Because I don't know how. No, I feel... Oh, okay. Yeah, he comes to the alley. It's that same alley because he's walking by those. The, They're the in that alley for like half an hour. Yeah, he's so. He's by the reserve parking spots, and that's where the fight happens. <laughs> yeah, so then they. So the whole fight is over whether or not Frank will put on the sunglasses. <laughs> that is the only thing the fight is about. And it's I'd like, like to mention. Put on the sunglasses, and he's like, no, man, I'm not putting on the sunglasses. I got a wife and kids. And suplex. Like, what are you talking about? Just Headlock. 
what, like any normal person would be like, <clears throat> okay, man, whatever. I'll put on the sunglasses. <laughs> leave me alone. And so finally, and you keep thinking the fight is over, that one of them is just beaten. And then the other one's like, ha ha, and then starts beating them again. And finally, Frank is beaten into submission. Twelve minutes later, they're both bloodied and bruised and sore. No one, you know, in real life, if two dudes that strong fought for 12 minutes, one of them would be dead. Like right. their face would be crushed. They'd have all kinds of really serious life-threatening injuries. I feel like I feel like it's it's a dis doing a disservice to street fighting and not <laughs> letting it go on that long and not showing how awful it can really be. I think this but, is a, a good time to mention the fact that Keith Keith David um, is a got a BFA from Juilliard. Aww. I love him. I really like besides yeah, the fact that the, he needed he needed more lines than just <laughs> I, I wish he was a little more of a of a dimensional character, but I still love him. Were you forgetting that he just went through a twelve minute wrestling scene and I don't think they prepared him for that at Juilliard. But maybe they his, did. His character wears purple in every scene too. Oh, does like, he? He's that. wearing different purple shirts in every scene. Like that's oh. just like okay, like there that, he is. Get him. He's I like that you picked up on that. And I, I'm imagining his wife and kids only like purple, so that's why he wears it. Yeah, he wears it because his wife's favorite color is purple. It makes him very masculine. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> he doesn't need help being masculine. He's already <laughs> cute and masculine. It's true. Um, anyway, back to cute masculine Frank putting on the sunglasses. <laughs> so he finally puts on the fucking sunglasses, and then he's like, oh, shit, you're right. And then they're just like in... Then <laughs> After yeah, that, we're and then they like limp all the way to the halfway house or like the hourly hotel or wherever they're they're staying, and they get a room and they go up there and then in the hallway of that place they see um, one of the guys who was running the fake church group that was actually a resistance group, and so he gives them the new address for the resistance. <laughs> they go. Now there are contact lenses, which is great because now, you know, because the sunglasses are not like normal Wayfarer style sunglasses. They're like these weird boxy, like the kind of sunglasses your your eye doctor gives you after you get your eyes dilated, mm. <laughs> like yeah. that, that shape or like. They're obvious. They're really obvious looking. Um, and uh, well, they're especially obvious when Rowdy Piper is in the middle of a grocery store. When I have the sunglasses on, I see you. When I have them off, I don't. When I have them on, I see you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that must have been. You know how sometimes there are lines that you feel like they just put in because the studio executives are just like, there are people that aren't going to get this. We really need to to hit them over the head with like the 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 combination of wearing the sunglasses and seeing the skull face people. Um, so. So they do that, and they're at the resistance meeting, and yet again, at that exact moment, um, like, the SWAT team comes in and starts shooting everybody up. And so, um, I, at and, that point, oh, and, go ahead. And uh, the studio executive, Michael's girlfriend, shows up, because oh, yeah. she has apparently right. put on the glasses at home and seen. Exactly. And she's like, like, I believe you, baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, exactly. and Roddy Piper is oddly attracted to her and wants to wants to keep finding her and helping he, her for yeah, no good he like, reason. He, like, wants to protect her. He's like, thank God, like, always stay by my side. It, he's, like, weirdly <laughs> romantic about her. He's yeah. like, you're my American dream with your blonde well, she, hair and blue eyes. Because she is amazing. <laughs> she looks like a young Lauren Bacall. Like, she is 
amazing and gorgeous. And she I, looks sinister as shit, though. She does have a sinister angle, which is interesting because in 1979, Mademoiselle Magazine named her the Eyes of 1979, Ooh. which I think is fantastic. And she was the original um, uh, uh, Cagney in Cagney and Lacey oh, for the first what? six episodes. She really? was. She was oh. the. Um, Meg Foster was the original Cagney, and they replaced her because they felt that it made the show feel like it was too dykey. Like it was too. <laughs> because like, she was too hot? Like her and Tyne Daly <laughs> seemed like two lesbians rather than. Yeah, two. good thing they got Sharon Gless in there because it didn't seem like that at all once they got her on. <laughs> oh, wait, so she replaced Loretta Swit. Was there like a TV movie that Loretta Swit was in? That the, I don't the, know. I saw that too. That she repla- and Loretta Swit wasn't too dykey, but like right, they <laughs> well, replaced. No, no, she was replaced immediately by this uh, <laughs> Meg Foster. So Meg Foster, it's I mean, she's amazing looking. Like there's something really masculine and hard about her face, but she was the gorgeous. Like he pre- he wanted to protect her for like no reason. She punched him out of a window. Yeah, and, and he's like, "Cool, babe, let's be married forever." <laughs> well, and she he, is he a. Figures, oh, now she's a believer. He didn't. She didn't mean to push me out of the window. Right, and she's a TV reporter for Cable 54, which I think is critical because it's the most important television station in all of Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> as, as was true at the time. Right. Yeah, you'd think they would have moved it up a little on the dial if it was right. that important. <laughs> it's not even UHF Channel 54, it's Cable Channel 54. So right. I don't know so, how they were getting it out in that shanty town. So three people were watching it in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> all in the shanty town. Yes. Um, so from there, is this when they, is this when, so after that they're attacked and they run to this alley and they're cornered in the alley and they have, they have picked up one of the watches, the expensive watches that the skull aliens wear and thrown it on the ground. And then it's like, this watch has malfunctioned and it opens up a portal and they jump into the portal. And then there's this huge underground system of tunnels that the Skull people and their cohorts walk through. And they end up in this giant ballroom where it turns out that the human elite are in partnership with the Skull-faced aliens to basically oppress um, the middle class and poor people of the world and make them into their cattle, I guess? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the ultimate goal is. Right. Um, I mean, for humans, it would be, it's clearly to get rich quicker. I thought and, there and was, for the, for the aliens, I thought there was a line in the movie where the environment was being destroyed slowly and they were using the environment to to create other things and they were going to, once the earth was used up, they would move on to another place. Yeah, they were well, yeah, exploiting I, our resources and okay. it, the, the, the TV dude who broke in early on in the movie mm-hmm. uh, did mention that they want to use, he said, uh, we're not we're not even pets we're livestock to them and they're making slaves of they're going to make slaves of the uh, lower classes to help to mine the earth's resources right, right okay and they and that's why they want you to like reproduce and be and and be okay this all makes and, sense now but you know i want to see the part of the movie where the the aliens eventually turn on the human elite like i'm not i'm not real clear on their thought process like right. You know, I know not all rich people are smart, but some of them probably were scrappy rich people that, you know, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and worked their way up. And they have to have a shred of understanding that, you know, what they're getting now is coming at some kind of major cost. And Do you it, mean like the rich people who don't believe in global warming? 
maybe. <laughs> or, or, or what is the benefit of when they're in the ballroom and they, they're seeing the human elite, like the the um, the supervisor from the construction site has now been elevated yeah. to the role of human elite. And like, why oh, was, was that, that guy that was? so I thought it important? was the homeless guy that was watching TV. That was I thought it was him too. Oh, I thought you know it was. was. You so could be right. I could have the wrong guy. You but could that, be that, that makes yeah. even less sense. It makes no, <laughs> no sense. That, that, that's what they were saying earlier in the movie. They're like some of some of the people on our side of sold out and they have agreed to to do stuff to other people to make more money uh, yeah so, so I, think it, I think it's more that they're they were just looking for more allies and that guy was clearly an asshole so yeah. like he was he was easily bought and so they were probably just like here's a dollar and they were like cool <laughs> as frank <laughs> as frank said you're a traitor to your own people <laughs> yeah so and i just i kind of like implanted a scene that never happened where I was like, all right, so now they're going to like gas everybody <laughs> in the elite ballroom. I was just like, this would be an easy time to just like get rid of all the, but I guess they still need them. Yeah. They the still, I think then... it's heavily implied that that's coming down the line. Yeah. Because duh. Um, well, while they're, while they're in that underground thing, they show like a scene where there's a spaceport. Yes. I, I'm glad you brought this up. Cause this was <laughs> the next, this was the third favorite thing in the movie was this like random sci-fi <laughs> touch where like, it's just open into space. Like weirdly right. it's, it, it's like something I would have dreamt. Like it's underground, but in dream logic somehow like <laughs> the wall is open and you can see into space. And then like people or skull people are stepping onto a platform and getting like zipped off as beams of light to their distant planet. Right. <laughs> and I'm I glad wish... they explained how it worked. Yeah. Because otherwise I would have been like, what's the science behind this? <laughs> but I, I actually feel like, I mean, I get why they couldn't spend more time on that part of it, but sure. I would love to have seen more about the distant home planet and yeah, maybe I, I like more kind spend of more time on it. Why even bring it up? I felt like yeah. that was, just, it was, kind, I liked, was kind I liked cool. it though. It was yeah. cool. Yeah. Maybe it was cool. Maybe they needed to give a little more context to the background of to the who these people, people were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought they were saying, oh, you thought you were underground, but actually you're on a giant ship in orbit or oh, something like that. Oh, okay. And then they, they didn't do that. They were like, no, you're actually really underground. Right. <laughs> because, <laughs> Wait, I thought you were blowing my mind, but you're really just reiterating no, what be, I've already said about because how then they, makes no sense. Yeah, then they move on to the TV studio, so they're obviously yeah. not was, on a ship. It was just yeah, some so, kind of portal that goes to space underground. Yeah. And also to the cable fifty four TV station, <laughs> where where their transmitter lives, and yes, then the, the ultimate goal is to destroy the transmitter, and so that humans can see the reality of what's going on in the world. Um, and I kind of just want to fast forward past the entire ending of the movie because basically what happens is like Meg, what's her name, turns on him at the end. When he's because getting ready to blow up the the, satellite, the, transmitter, the transmitter, yeah, and like with her it was stage. pretty shocking how she turned, killing Frank right yeah, to the head. That they was... didn't. Luckily, they didn't show her killing no. Frank because I would have cried. Um, but then, alert. but then her steely blue eyes came up to the top of the <laughs> TV station, and he's about to blow up the satellite, and she's like, "I survived." And then he's like, "What?" <laughs> and then she's like, "I'm gonna kill you." And he's like, "No, you're not, bitch." And then she dies, and then he destroys the transmitter as they're shooting him from helicopters, and he gives him the finger. 
But then yes. <laughs> the next greatest thing in the movie happens, which is the last scene of the movie where yep. the wool is lifted off, the veil is lifted from everybody's eyes. Everybody can suddenly see the skull people like amongst them and on the TV. And then the best final scene of any movie <laughs> is this like hot naked boob lady. And she's clearly like on top of a dude in bed kind of writhing around. And then she looks down, she looks at the TV, which is on in the motel room and sees the skull person. And she's like, what the hell? And then looks at his face and he's like, Hey baby, what's wrong? And the, <laughs> he's, and he's He is a skull dude. And she's like, ah, and then the movie's over. <laughs> that uh, that definitely situates it in the eighties. I I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, we got some tits here. Uh, yes. Oh, this just is just in movie. under the wire, right under the <laughs> yeah, wire. Like, we need to put there. this in somewhere. Where can we fit? Oh, I know where we can fit it in. <laughs> I <laughs> love that ending. <laughs> I think it's a great one. I think it's a really, it really like. You know, they got it. They made their points already. They didn't need to end with that scene where it's like, and then the aliens still took over and it's all too late or whatever. They didn't need to end with that. It didn't matter. Like, I love that they just wrapped it up with a fun kind of like stupid oh, 80s movie Siskel thing. Siskel Niebuhr skull people. That was funny, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talking about George Romero and John Carpenter. John Carpenter's movies, yeah. <laughs> and, how that, and how they're a bad influence. Yeah. Let's see, there's... There's probably a million things wrong with this movie, but I can overlook them all because I just think it's so much fun. And like, Me too. I, I guess they don't necessarily follow through so much on some of the ideas, but I think the idea is solid enough that it carries the movie. And I do like that uh, that it was kind of a dark, kind of a dark ending, at least for our heroes, for uh, Frank yeah. And, yeah. and Roddy yeah. Piper. They both get it in the head. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the best part. That Roddy Piper's acting was ended at the end. Oh, <laughs> I he would not good. continue. Dude, I, I maybe have a low bar for acting because I watch a lot of crap. But sure. I thought he was great. I, think, I thought he was I thought his acting was really I mean, solid. He he did as well as you could expect Roddy Piper to do in a movie like this, I feel like. He I acted exactly how Jason expected. would act when he's grown up. So did you all buy it when he walked into the bank and said that line that was like... About bubblegum? <laughs> yeah. yeah. that, I don't care if he's a good actor. That's such an awesome line. That is the most famous... I don't know if you got... I mean, that that line alone is like... I probably heard that line, and it's been copied more in media than anything yeah. else in this movie. Well, until sure. again, until Shepard Fairey came along. But the but the I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. It makes, angry it makes no Shepherd fucking Fairey. sense. Like, nope. And at no point he was he even chewing bubblegum. No. <laughs> <I feel laughs> like, and it seemed like feel... such a it seemed like such a pussy thing to say, like, I'm here to chew bubblegum. And like, <laughs> well, he's this badass with a gun, and he's like, really? You're going to say that? And I didn't believe his delivery, but it was awesome. He had so yeah. many great lines. How about when they go into the, the, the CD hotel and he says love is a grand thing ain't it well <laughs> speaking of <laughs> speaking of pussy lines in the exact same scene where so he walks in and says I I came here to uh, bubble gum and kick ass to do two things like that line just comes out of nowhere it's so right. obviously just a line they threw in because they thought it was cool but, but it that, was it, cool they weren't just thinking it that is a cool no line. it is but in the exact same scene uh, when one of the one of the aliens uh, gets on his watch and says uh, he's here. He goes, "Mama don't like tattletales." <laughs> yeah, that's another good one. You know what? I feel like um, this a lot. I mean, it's clearly John Carpenter, but I feel like they were stealing. They were borrowing a little bit from Jack Burton 
in Big Trouble in Little China from Kurt Russell's character in Big Trouble in Little China with with his kind of I mean they both have like mullets they're both kind of like no nonsense American macho types wearing jeans wearing right. high waisted jeans <laughs> <laughs> and no but I mean he has like the whole movie Big Trouble in Little China is like a series of quips from that motherfucker and like at the end I feel like they were trying like there was a nod to that in this film is all I'm saying yeah, I, <laughs> I think it, I think they live is a lot of fun. I thought the stuff was a lot of fun too. So that's why I was saying I didn't. I think they're both really fun. I think the the stuff <laughs> is a little more charming, just because think, the production value is so much lower than they live. I, yeah, it, it might have something to do with. Um, I saw this movie when it came out, um, and it it m- made a real impression on me because it was the kind of stuff I was always reading about and thinking about the consumer culture and right, yeah, mm-hmm. and. You know, people basically being asleep, and and uh, and the, I, I think one reason that it it wouldn't be made today is because it's kind of come true in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, it's obviously it was true not. Then. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, was just but that was just the beginning. Even more so now. I mean, I think uh, there's well, definitely you know you people have ads and stuff on Facebook, and they're like, ah, oh, whatever. Like it it it's not even an issue for people anymore. The way advertising has has corrupted our lives and the way our our memories have been commodified into you know your favorite song is now selling margarine or whatever you know well there's just there's just way more media on which to like to use as a platform to sell things to people than right. it used to be you know like yeah. in the days of when there were only newspapers there was ads there were ads in newspapers and then radio came along and they were like now there's like you know, now there's like hour long radio shows sponsored by Ovaltine or whatever. And then TV came along and there were TV ads. And now there's like this whole new box that right. they can deliver ads to us. And and we're so I, used I, to I, it that like if I, I know Laura and I are both on Ello and I'm like, oh, I there's have nothing here. Find me because I don't know how to find anybody on there. I don't so. think it works. I've tried to it find people it with their name. No, so the search mechanism doesn't work. So yeah, but uh, you have to just go to the, you have to use computer skills and type in like elo.co slash, and then the username and it'll go right to their profile. But thanks for sending me an invitation guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but listen ju- on that real quick. I mean, I think the best thing to do is just set up your profile and then ignore it for two years. Yeah. But that's what everybody's other, doing. <laughs> the other point, And that this, this brings all of this full circle is that, um, it started it started a lot of, um, of course, anytime something gains some popularity, there are a bunch of articles about why it sucks. But there's a good, <laughs> but there's a good point about it, which is that um, uh, there, there are new ways that humans are being commodified now. I'm glad, I'm glad we're bringing it full circle to this like modern media point. Um, and and in this sense, um, Ello actually, it's not as independent as it might seem. They right. they still took venture capital, which means that like every person that signs up is basically like helping them hit this target goal that will, they'll then like be able to sell the company to someone bigger. So while it may be ad free and independent right now, it is eventually not going to be. And we're all kind of like playing into their game. That's the odd thing I find about Ello. I don't think people's problem with Facebook is so much the ads because ads are everywhere. I mean, people have problems with ads, but the problem is that Facebook takes people's lives and sells that to other people. Yeah. And and that's, and it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same thing again, unless you have a subscription model or like a Wikipedia style 
thing where it's like donation and it's free, then right. those are, I mean, maybe there's some new model that someone's going to think of, but that's all I can see. If, if we really want to like have a network where all our lives are online, but the bigger that something like that gets, the more um, kind of sinister forces are going to be sure. fighting to get to use it to get their hands on people's consciousness. Well, not only that, but the more expensive it is, so it, it can't be free. There has to be some way to pay for everything. Yeah, exactly. It can. Well, it, if, yeah. there's, if there was a subscription model, that would be great, but no one's going to pay it. Well, and that's I, I I disagree, but but it would be a barrier. Like part of what's no, I mean, great about Facebook not, is that say, everybody, everybody, not everybody's on Facebook, but part of what why it's useful is most people are on Facebook, whereas a, a site with a subscription model, um, not you know that would be a, enough of a barrier that you know two thirds of the population wouldn't even consider it. Right. That's right. why I'm, no one's hyperbole. People would pay for it, but it won't reach the breaking point like Facebook did work. Yeah. Everybody, you, not, uh, not a, lots it's of people. It's true. Yeah, it, yeah, that's, I mean, and that was exactly my point too, Laura, where, uh, about this not being made today because uh, the kind of things it talks about, I, I think people have now grown up with this shit and they're like, yeah, Facebook takes my, my info and sells it to what, who cares? Like, no, I don't, th I think it could get made today, but I don't know if it would be made into a, uh, like a theater. I think it'd be straight to video. Just Maybe. because. Yeah, it would be like a more. It would be a more independent film. Well, right. Yeah, I just don't. Just, know. Use, just they don't want to. They just want to sell. They don't care about this stuff. And back then, you could put out a three million dollar movie. But I think now, if it's a, in today's terms, I guess three million dollars would be what ten. I don't know. But a ten million dollar movie probably would be VOD. So. Yeah. I, well, but I'm just talking about more the the ideas behind it seem maybe a bit quaint, more quaint now to to younger generations and stuff. I mean, with what with the advertising everywhere and the, the anti-capitalist slant of it too. I mean, there's when that the uh, the homeless dude who's now become rich, he gives basically a shortened version of Ned Beatty's speech from Network about um, you know, there's no countries anymore. It doesn't there's no good guys and bad guys. It's all capital, you know. Yeah. I, I think people don't people are like, well, yeah, that's that's how it is. That's how it's always been for my life, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think, yeah, it's true. It's I mean, really, sorry. No, please. I was, I was just going to say, I'm really interested that like, there's there are big ideas in this movie, and that it's wrapped in like such pop culture sort of. I don't even want to say pop culture, but it's wrapped in sort of. And I don't want to say B movie, but it's wrapped in sort of garbage. But there's real <laughs> stuff there. <laughs> so you don't want to say those so, nice things, but you'll say this terrible thing. So, so the sun, the sunglasses represent the good idea of the movie, and then you're you're putting them into the trash can <laughs> and covering them in garbage. But so, I think that's why. I think that's also why it works. You don't want something to be just like polemical and and sure you know what i mean i mean it's fun they've that's dumb it down yeah, so much to make it fun once it goes off the rails into all the, where he's shooting everything immediately it's just it's a little too far into fun if, well there's if, a there's well. a great line during the fight that i loved that i wrote down i had to stop and rewatch it to write it down <laughs> um it's where nada is fighting with frank and like it's it's interesting when you look at it as a whole fight because frank is fighting the knowledge like frank is right. fighting to have his yeah. eyes for to not have his eyes opened and they go on for so long to not have his eyes open and nada says to frank i'm giving you a choice either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can <laughs> and frank 
like randomly, Frank says, "Not this year." (laughs) (laughs) But like, maybe next year. (laughs) But like, it's kind of like God. Like, you have to fight people to get them to open their eyes and see anything. They just want to keep believing the like the the nothing or whatever. And even this, there's this great. Um, article that Jonathan Lethem wrote. Did any of you look into this or, or no. find this? So Jonathan Lethem, the guy who wrote um, yeah. what, The Fortress of Solitude. is the Yeah, which I'm reading right now. He, yeah, he writes this defense of this movie that totally sold me on it like being not just a stupid, like badly acted movie with a good idea. But he goes in and he admits that he's kind of overdoing it. But he has this great, you should Google it and read it. He has this great defense of this movie where um, he talks about all the dumb things and how they're not dumb and they're actually really smart, like the fight. And and the, um, oh God, he talks about like just the casting of Roddy Piper being like this Hollywood outsider who is a wrestler who is never going to be taken seriously as an actor and never was after this movie. And yet he's going into this this film, this Hollywood film, and like it's kind of an allegory to the whole film. Like he is Nada in real life, in the mm-hmm. way that he is Nada in the movie, and he's never going to be taken seriously, and he's going to be destroyed in the movie in the same way that he's kind of destroyed critically as an actor in this movie. And he finds all these like like connections to like the idea and the real world. And he goes into like 12 main points that are kind of fascinating. And I think there's like a slideshow on Salon or something where you can kind of get some of the, the main points, which is what I read. Um, but it's interesting how, how he really makes this movie seem more legitimate um, the way he goes on about it. Well, yeah, I, I had read uh, I'd read a couple reviews for this um, when I was after I watched it. And and some of the complaints people had, I'm like, well, I I think it was on purpose. Like to me, the like you're saying, the casting of Roddy Piper, they knew what they were doing with that. I yeah, think. Yeah. And somebody <laughs> complained about the cheesy 1950s looking spaceships in the sky. I was like, well, that That's, that no. was on purpose. You yeah. you get that, right? Like. Yeah. <laughs> I I think they knew what they were doing with this whole movie. This is what I'm saying. I don't think it was like unintentionally uh, bad. I think no, I everything think was planned out. Yeah. I just didn't think it was as effective as it could have been. Oh, I thought it was totally. Effective. I like the I like the review that says it's just John Carpenter as usual, trying to dig with a toy dig deep with a toy shovel. Aww, <laughs> I mean it, it's true, but what's wrong with what's wrong with trying, man? Well, exactly. I feel like that's. I, You're talking I about I'm, American I'm pop res- culture. No, I don't. I here, but like I I love a I toy shovel. Dig away, I don't man. The, the rest of the review is stupid, so it's not a good review. I just think that's a funny line. It but, is a funny line, and also, can we can we just mention the the glorious soundtrack that? As usual, was completely written sax. by John Carpenter. Right, <laughs> all bass and sax, <laughs> and but it's the same all bass and sax the entire movie. I know, I know. The soundtrack actually doesn't interfere much. I mean, the soundtrack could have been. Can you imagine what a different different movie it would have been had they used like '80s rock hits the entire time? It would have been like awful. Huey Lewis. Yeah, <laughs> White Go Snake. Back in time. <laughs> Well, sorry. I want to go back to the. I got to wear shades. I want to go back to the digging deep with a toy shovel because it it sounds like it's an insult, but really, to me, 
what's wrong with that? Like, That's it, what it's I'm not—it's not a movie for the intellectual elite. Like, if you're getting—if you're getting these ideas to people who may not have been thinking about this stuff because of the the way that you're you film the movie and and it's you know more palatable to people what's wrong yeah. with that with getting ideas to people you know to the layman let's say you know it, it's like popular science books a lot of people complain about but i'm like why? i love a popular science yeah. book it's on my okay cupid profile yeah I, I, <laughs> just to ward out the guys who think they're too cool for me. <laughs> yeah i don't see a problem with it it's not an art film like that's but it still no. has the idea. If you're an intellectual, right. like these ideas are already like in your head. You already know. I mean, and they're already yeah. in my head too, thanks to punk rock. But like, um, that's you know, that's a whole different starting point. I think that like you have a different baseline if you're watching this movie. I agree. Right. Well, I think that also these reviews were written back in when the movie came out, and you know, you have to look at what was going on at the time. I don't think people were necessarily ready for a critique film <laughs> using like, you know, before retro references to sci-fi and all that. And it was kind of before its time. And like, you know, Star Wars was the the um, the serious sci-fi. People didn't understand using sci-fi to make another point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like they just understood it like being uh, lasers, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. But this was like subverting sci-fi and subverting all that stuff in the way that like I didn't understand Rocky Horror until I was an adult. You know, I didn't understand that he was reusing those 50s sci-fi tropes. You have, yeah, you else. have to understand, like have a reference point a little bit. And but I, I mean, I would argue and I, I'm sure you understand this, but that that sci-fi has always been. Yeah. Or not not always, but mostly always been um, a it, vehicle yeah. a vehicle to deliver kind of like tougher points about society. Sure. Right, and well, uh, I'll bring this up in my recommendations. Horror was for a long time too. Like if you even look at sure. say Night of the Living Dead, like mm-hmm. it's so much different than the or Dawn of the Dead, so much different than the zombie movies now that are just you know shock value but sure and when you talk about john carpenter specifically like halloween is this this milestone in horror movies because it's it's the first movie that i think robin um god i can't remember his last name but he's this he he wrote this great um article in in some film journal um about how halloween breaks the mold because it puts you in the eyes of the final girl who is usually killed in these movies. If there is even a final girl, she either is killed or goes crazy. Right. And in the for, for the first time, the final girl is the heroine, which puts everybody in the eyes of the heroine. It, it's sort of like this gender study. Halloween makes even men realize that gender is a performance because you're able to identify with the woman who survives and who, you know, beats the odds of the horror film. And Halloween is this huge landmark in terms of horror films that um, says a lot about society and gender and, and how we view gender, et cetera. And that's John Carpenter. And mm-hmm. for him to do this 20 years later or 15 years later, however, however long it's been, I think that you would expect that he might have moved up a little bit in his presentation because this movie feels very 80s video yeah versus like um you know a natural progression steven spielberg from the early 80s to now is like a totally different you know higher production value etc and john carpenter isn't his production value stays pretty pretty low and that's fine but um the point he's making is just as as important but i think it gets missed in this film in a way because i don't know sorry 
No, it's just, just... it gets missed because it's sci-fi versus horror, and it's much easier for people to enjoy horror in some ways um, because it's scary and you watch it every year, you know, Halloween. That's it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. There, there were a lot of, there are a lot of points in this. I mean, it's very, it's very anti what's going on in America in 1988 they even had mm-hmm. the the politician on tv uh yeah. giving a variation of uh reagan's morning in america speech yes. and and this is during the reagan era so yeah i i don't know i think it's a great movie but i, I thought it was excellent all right great idea wrapped in just no, was, awful I, clothing I was, and dialogue and i thought it went on i didn't i didn't think it was a great movie i thought it was a really fun movie and i thought the the social commentary was great i, I thought at some point it was it got lost in the action, and I didn't. I didn't think that was in a good way. I, but I think John Carpenter is an interesting director in that I was reading about him, and he started at USC during the late '60s when everyone was making these personal altar movies, and he was like, "I don't really want to make something that's so personal. I want to be like Hitchcock and Hawks and make something entertaining while having my own vision." And that's pretty much what he did his whole career. He would make these fun movies, but he would still have go back to having a a point to them, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I, say, sorry. For some reason, I was totally fine with all the action in this movie. It, it seemed fun to me. Where a lot of times in mo- more modern movies, it, it just kind of drags, and, and it seems to me like I think it's probably because you saw it at the time. Because this is the first time I've ever seen it. Maybe, yeah. But you know, the, like the fight scene is them fighting. It's not like Born Identity style right. super cuts and, yeah. and all this weird effects. Like, well, that, that, I think part of that is John Carpenter being a huge wrestling fan, and just one of that in his movie. Yeah, yeah, but it's interesting to watch this movie and realize, oh my God, that, like I have missed uh, like all the cultural references to this that I've seen in the last twenty years. <laughs> I've totally got like the I don't know. I know you guys hate Family Guy, but like there's this scene where Peter like every season has this like ten minute fight with a guy in a chicken suit or a giant. Yeah, chicken, and I'm it's sure totally. It seems really totally related from to this. this. There's also uh, there's also an early um, South Park episode that that does this like shot for shot. Yeah. <laughs> Does that fight? Yeah, I'm I'm down with this movie. So, <laughs> what's everybody's thoughts? I'm assuming everybody preferred They Live, or They Live. They, they They Live just stands up better. I mean, the stuff is is a fun romp in its own way. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would I would tell people to say see They Live and probably wouldn't tell them to see the stuff because well, I don't stuff, think they the necessarily like it. The stuff is also available on Netflix for free. Oh, that's which, true. Which makes it a little recommend, more recommendable because it's like, true. what do you got to lose? Just like press play, true. hung over on a Saturday morning, just watch the stuff. They live, watch Saturday night. It's, yeah. that, it's good. When you have the cash. Yeah, they're yeah. both good. They're especially for this time of year, which is our Halloween theme, and mm-hmm. they're both good to watch. I, I don't think either one is genuinely scary to me personally, but they are both like they have good ideas, which are. I can um, tell you, Danny Aiello was very scared. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure his agent was terrified after this movie. <laughs> Let's get you on to do the right thing, Stat. <laughs> Although I, the best part, um, Meg Foster again, who I just love. She has the most amazing eyes and face, and she Wait. just. I sorry to interrupt. What what movie were you talking about? Didn't you say she was in the the quintessential eighties movie? Oh, that was on she break, was, but yeah, I th- right during during the break <laughs> when we weren't recording, um, I said that she was she went from this to um, and it might have been nineties. 
My, I have two brothers who are younger than me, and so I watched the Masters of the Universe movie okay. <laughs> a hundred times when I was a kid because they, well, when I was a teenager because they loved it. And it's got Dolph Lundgren, and it's yes. got um, she plays Evil Lynn. Um, and I remember thinking as a kid, like as a young t- gay You're teenager, like, I, I want was like, to be her. Girl. <laughs> it was like a deep reaction, like I will be that one day. <laughs> she was amazing. I and, wanted to be Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> <laughs> if you've never seen Masters of the Universe, you've got to see it. For her alone, she's amazing. Yeah, it actually. But, was one year before this movie came out, 87. Was Masters. it really? Yep. It's amazing. It got like, her this role. <laughs> He-Man, like, pops into this kid. It's like, it's a mix of the stuff and they live. Like, He-Man like and the Masters of the Universe pop into this kid's, the suburban kid's life. <laughs> and and, like, and suddenly, He-Man, He-Man as a, as a, C-Man. As a culture <laughs> is pretty much what the stuff and they live is about since it's a, a cartoon made by a toy company. Right? Yeah. Well, it's awesome. Yeah, we, I've got to. I got to clean my house and go to. The yeah, gym, let's, so let's let's do, do recommendations. Recommendations, recommendations. Uh, I'm going to go first because uh, my uh, tying it in my the idea of horror as social commentary. My movie is the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, with Donald that was, I was going to bring up Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I feel like there's a good parallel. Yeah, that's very a good reference for they live. Similar ideas, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And the best version of that movie. Um, yeah. I'm sure everybody knows the story by now, but that's that's my favorite uh, iteration of of that one. So, Invasion of the Body Snatchers with uh, with Donald Sutherland. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I just love a tall, dorky dude, and he's got this <laughs> he's got this deep voice, and I'm just like I'm super pro Donald Sutherland. So, <laughs> all your Donald Sutherland look a lot like friends that are between the ages of 30 and 42 send them my way (laughs) all right call me dude (laughs) what do you got laura (laughs) i don't have anything really great to say um or like intelligent to say about either of these things but um a friend of mine recently turned me on to this thing called the paragon school for girls and it's at paragonschoolforgirls.com. And it's this um, web series in drag about these, like, <gasps> girls with special <laughs> abilities. And then they go to the school, but there's a secret mystery, and you slowly it slowly starts to unravel. And it's very compelling and done on a small budget and has little funny bits. I think that it's infinitely watchable. And, yes, Michael, you will love it. Um, oh, I can't wait. And then the other thing, yeah, you can watch it right now. I mean, it just sits online. So um, the other thing I've been listening to this album uh, by this band Goat all the time. Oh, yeah, it's a good album. Yeah, Goat, and the album is Commune. It's the Swedish band, and the album is witchy as hell. And so it's great for the (laughs) Halloween season, but it's also good for jogging, too. (laughs) <laughs> the end <laughs> Michael <laughs> let's see I would uh, this is more modern in terms of reference but since we're in the Halloween theme and the scary monstery blah 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 I would recommend um, Penny Dreadful which oh, is a yeah, it's a series on Showtime, so you have to either torrent it or subscribe and pay for it in order to see it. Um, also on iTunes, I think. But it's only eight. The first season is only eight episodes, and it's sort of the um, if you've ever seen or read um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, which is 
the same sort of idea. They take um, public domain characters from monster movies like uh, Frankenstein, uh, Dracula. <laughs> Spankenstein. Sort of. Right. <laughs> Miraculous. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they change the names like that. So Spankenstein um, <laughs> attacks Spank- the Wolfman. <laughs> And it's it's really like it's it's set in Victorian England and it's really dark and moody and there's some parts of it that are a little bit like okay we get it <laughs> she's possessed by the devil we get it we don't need to see six episodes of this <laughs> but there's pieces like that but there's like great surprises at the end and Josh Hartnett is in it who is like I think one of the worst actors of all time but he's actually good <laughs> in this and um, do you it's think he's really, cute? I don't. I think he's completely the most unattractive person. Yeah. I don't think he's cute either, he's but I know he's looking. like, he's got like a, this heartthrob. I mean, yeah, Meathead is not my preferred look. Yeah. I think the only guy worse than Josh Hartnett is Channing Tatum, and at least he's funny. Channing, they both have the tiny eyes and the oh, giant face. I know. But Penny Driffel, it's really good. It's eight episodes. It's got 12 episodes next season. And it's got, you know, the the greatest hits, Dracula, Frankenstein, and maybe a wolf man. And is, it, they, is it written by Neil Gaiman, or does he just like it a lot? He must like it, because it's, it's not written by anybody I've ever heard of. Oh, okay. But um, it's definitely the same idea behind League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, which was a movie and comic um, graphic novel series. Mm-hmm. But it's done in a very different way and it's really fun to watch all right pat i didn't i don't have anything halloween related i just been listening to a lot of podcasts this week and i really like the slate the slate stuff which i had never even thought of listening to but everything they have is good pop culture gab fest the political gab fest even the the sports i don't think they call it a gab fest but they're all really well produced and they're talking about a lot of low culture stuff but they're doing it intellectually and uh, great stuff. All right. Really Sleep good podcast. podcasts. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. I know Laura has to go uh, do her shit, so we should get off. Ooh. Michael's got to go. <laughs> Michael's has to go surf. Yeah. It's true. I've got to get to the nude beach before all the spots get taken on the sand. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, guys, again. And uh, we'll yeah, see thanks you, a lot. We'll see you next week for the next one. Everybody should like us on Facebook. Write to us at popculturecontinuum at gmail.com if you'd like to say something interesting. Uh, write us highly on iTunes and write us a good review. And that's it. All right. So uh, until next time, goodbye, everybody. Peace. Goodbye. Bye.